Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Canadian Investor. I'm joined by my co-host Braden Dennis. So today we're going to be talking a bit more about uh, what's going on with the mar market volatility. We'll look at two companies that were requested a few weeks ago and we'll finish with our tip of the day. So Braden, how's it going in Toronto? I'm good, man. Things are really good. No complaints on my end. It's a great time to have some cash aside like I did. RS, RRSP season ended Monday. We're recording this Wednesday. And yeah, there's been a ton of volatility, but man, this gets me excited when stocks are uh, trading at a little bit more attractive valuations. So yeah, all things are good. How about you, man? Oh, it's good. I've actually soloed this week. Victoria's gone in Florida for an actual business trip. So I'm just a single dad with my uh, big mean dog that you heard a bit earlier. Um, Dude, that guy sounded scary. Yeah. How big is he? <laughs> he's 15 pounds. Oh, he's only 15 pounds. Yeah. Oh, he sounds like he's like 400 pounds, I guess. I know. If people don't know sounding. his size, like he'd be a great guard dog. So. Man, yesterday I met a 215-pound dog in Toronto oh, wow. called the Leon Burger. It's this thing was a bear. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. I mean, I've seen big dogs, but nothing that big. Uh, 215 pounds, biggest dog I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> um, but yeah, enough about dogs. So yeah, the market's been really crazy this week, actually last week. So I don't, I can't really recall any volatility like that. So last Friday we had a big, uh, big run up and then, uh, or was it Monday? I think no it was monday this monday and then tuesday uh markets went down even though the fed announced uh 50 basis point um so 0.5 percent uh interest rate cut and then today as news came out that uh, joe biden's doing better in the u.s the market went up another four 4.5 percent so it's it's really crazy <laughs> what's going on uh, have you been following that a bit yeah i've been following it a little bit the volatility is wild. And you know what I find really interesting about this kind of volatility is just because the market opens or starts really high or low does not dictate how it's going to finish. Like, I think it was Monday, stocks were trading at really, really like low futures. Like, the market was set for a really, really bad day. And then it finished like up two and a half percent. And then Tuesday was the like, man, it's crazy, but don't, I don't even hardly watch it, but there is a lot of things to be concerned about. I talk about real concerns, which are supply chains that will affect businesses when China is not manufacturing parts. But yeah, all this volatility can be exciting if you want to buy dips. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really hard to, to understand like a bit what's going on with the market. Obviously, there's like little piece of news and then it'll fluctuate way up and down. Um, in terms of the market, the um, the interest rate cuts, I'm not quite sure, I'll be honest, the purpose of that. The interest rates were already really low. Um, I'm not usually you'll want to cut in trades because you make money cheaper. Therefore, people are, and businesses 
will be able to borrow more easily, therefore aid, like helping the economy. But that's that's not the problem right now. The economy was going well until this uh, virus showed up and then China started shutting down like parts of their country, affecting supply chain, like you, uh, you just said and you talked about on our previous episodes. Um, so it seems like I'm still a bit confused about why the Fed actually did that. And of course now, um, usually that's what happens. The Bank of Canada had to follow suit, so they did the same thing over there. Yeah, so it was today that the Bank of Canada follows, followed suit with the uh, 0.5% cut. And man, the stock market stays undefeated. They just inject stimulus. It's kind of crazy. I agree with you on is this really needed? But hey, man, low interest rates are good. I own tons of stocks that benefit from really low interest rates. Infrastructure projects in particular benefit from low interest rates. You know, the Brookfields of the world, uh, infrastructure services on the engineering side. These companies do really, really well in low interest rate environments. So, I mean, hey, I'm not going to complain, man. No, I know there's a bunch of businesses that will do well, like real estate, REITs will definitely do well. And for those who have a mortgage and have the option of refinancing, um, that's definitely something you should be on the lookout for, especially if you have a much higher rate. Even if you have a to pay a penalty, obviously, depending what the penalty is, it might be worthwhile for you to look at uh, refinancing options. That is a really good idea. Refinancing can be quite lucrative. And yes, it'll also help real estate. Okay, so let's talk about two companies that were requested from a listener. This listener wants to know about two agricultural stocks, AFN, which is AG Growth International, and Nutrien, which is the the old merger between Potash and Agrium, so, which are two two huge companies in Canada that form Nutrien. Was Nutrien like $45 billion in market cap right now? So it's pretty massive. And we're going to talk about their take. I guess since I already have the floor, I will go ahead. I am no expert in either of these businesses, but I will give my quick take on them. I'll start with AG Growth. So this company has not covered the dividend since 2010. And I think that this company is completely being gripped by this dividend commitment that they made of $2.40 a share. It was $2.04 a share in 2009. 2010, they bumped it up to $2.40. And they have not been able to pay that with earnings since. So every single year since that day, they have paid out more than 100% of earnings to the dividend, which is the payout ratio. So the closest they got to covering it was 110% in that 10-year period. So they're being completely gripped by this, but they're too humble or too proud or don't want to send negative signals to the market to cut the dividend. They should have slashed this thing a long time ago. I don't know how they're paying for it, probably fueled by debt. So this is a really, really big red flag for any dividend payer. The top line growth has been amazing. Uh, really, really solid, like high double digits, like 20%, 30% revenue growth. It's been a really solid story. They haven't really been able to translate that into consistent earnings growth. 
And then again, this big, big red flag of this payout ratio exceeding 100%. They're being completely uh, gripped or choked, if you will, by this dividend payment commitment. And then Nutrien, I think, is a decent place for your portfolio for in- investors looking for a nice high dividend yields. And in 2018, the stock literally did nothing. Uh, I think it gained like percent and a half in 2018. Um, or sorry, sorry, in 2019, while the rest of the market did upwards of 20%. So the, the stock has not done particularly well. It's just kind of bouncing around, mostly flat. Two big, massive companies in agricultural, Potash and Agrium, both solid companies, but here's the problem for me. The company relies on macroeconomic factors because they are a commodity business. They sell potash and fertilizer for the agricultural industry, which is fine, but they are completely reliant on the price of that for earnings to go up. It's the exact same reason why I don't invest in gold miners or any resource miners for that, uh, in that case. Same reason why I don't invest in any commodity business. I, I'm a Canadian. I don't even own any energy, any oil and gas. So this is the kinds of business that I just don't like because the macroeconomic factor of what the commodity price completely dictates their business, their earnings power, and it is out of their control for the most part. I like companies that are able to dictate their future and grow free cash flow no matter what kind of macroeconomic factors are happening. They're still able to do well and grow the business and these companies just don't fit that bill. Yeah, um, so a lot of good points uh, you made, Brayden. Uh, so I'll start off with, uh, I think we share pretty much the same beliefs on these two companies. Um, first of all, yeah, they're commodity plays. Um, it's going to be hard to predict where the commodities are going to go. Um, if people want a better idea, just look at the price of oil, for example, which is another commodity play. It'll give you a good idea. Um, for AG Growth International, um my issue with it is the same thing. So you guys have heard me before. I always look at a payout ratio, but I love to look at the payout ratio in terms of free cash flow, um, just because that really is a good indicator, in my opinion, with the money coming in and out. Whereas I've said it before, an income statement, you'll have some non-cash items that are usually added back in, in the cash flow statement. Um, just looking at it, they haven't covered in terms of free cash flow since 2015, so in over five years. Um, and Honestly, if they want to grow, it might be just worthwhile for management to uh, just bite the bullet and um, cut the dividend. Uh, not necessarily eliminating the whole thing, but at least cut it so they can reinvest in the business, pay down their debt, because that's another issue with them, is their balance sheet is quite levered, uh, more levered than, uh, pot, than sorry, not potash, but uh, nutrient. Um, so those are two big red flags. Um, I don't know the business overly well. Um, I'll be honest, it's usually a sector I'm not overly interested in, but um, I know the listener was asking based on yeah, playing the uh, growth in human population. So, of course, as we're more and more people in the world, more people to feed. So these play in terms of fertilizer. Um, I know AG Growth has also some equipment for farming, uh, not the traditional equipment, but storage as well. Again, I'm just just some quick things that I saw reading a bit up on it. In terms of nutrient, 
Um, I agree with Braden on that. For me, it would be actually a pretty good play for those looking uh, for income if they're close to retirement or retired. Um, you can put that in your TFSA. It's tax-free, pays a pretty nice dividend. Um, they've covered it uh, for the past couple of years, I think, for the most part. I think not fully covered by free cash flow, but definitely still in better financial position. Um, they're also not as levered than uh, AG Growth International, so that's a big plus as well for Nutrien. Um, but if you're looking for really, really long-term and dividend, you're not looking to collect the dividend on a short-term basis, it, there's probably some better plays to be found, especially if the volatility continues in the next weeks, months, or, or years. Um, you might find some really, really solid companies that will give you much better returns over the long term uh, compared to them. So that's, that's my take on them. If you, last thing, and we actually didn't talk about this last one I'm going to bring up. If you're looking for a play a bit more on uh, world population increasing, um, you might want to look at uh, some global water ETFs. So one of them, the expense ratio is not super low, it's 0.66%. Uh, it's CWW.TO. And it's uh, basically an index of a bunch of worldwide companies that uh, do business with uh, water in terms of commodity. So that's a play that I actually like a lot better than these two companies and gives you more exposure as well. That is an interesting idea, and all those points I agree with fully. Nutrien, the dividend is nice, and uh, correction, I just looked it up, it is not $45 billion in market cap. It is $31 billion in market cap. Trades at five and a half times earnings, 1.2 times sales, 15.7 uh, enterprise value to EBITDA. The company is relatively cheap when it comes to valuation. There is one other problem with this thing is that I just don't have enough data because if I look back on their statements, it's before the merger for the most part. You're going to get like it all of a sudden jumps massively in 2018 when the company's merged, of course. So I like a couple more years of data to really see a trend of how these companies have merged. If there are synergies actually happening between them being together, it is obviously really important for any merger and acquisition story. So that that's another thing I'm looking for. It's the same thing where on Monday or actually it was yesterday, Tuesday morning when GFL Environmental finally IPO'd. They've been trying to IPO for months now. Um, and they listed on the NYSE and they listed on the TSX. But I think it's really difficult to look at their statements that are on the uh, SEC for their IPO because it's a mismatch of it's a mishmash of different companies right now as they acquire take on a bunch of debt and continue to acquire that it's really hard to see what it looks like uh, before 2018 when they took on six billion dollars in debt. So I mean, yeah, it's nice to be able to jump on IPOs and jump on these new companies, but you don't have to be quick to make decisions. You can see a couple more years on the growth story, understand what's happening, and and then make a decision from there. So I think that's really key. I like that you said AG has got to cut this dividend. Man, they have got to cut this dividend. I am no CEO or CFO of any company, but I don't know how their boardroom meetings have gone on for over 10 years 
without cutting the dividend. It baffles me. Complete mismanagement of money. I, I get it. I love dividends too, just like most people do. But this thing is just crippling them. And I would be much happier if I owned the stock to see this thing slashed, which is an instant sell rule for me for the most part. But if I was holding this thing, I would be pretty happy if they slash this dividend. I mean, they don't have to completely cut it, but how about down to like a 20% payout ratio where they can actually grow the business? Yeah, and what happens is oftentimes that's a good indication that management is not thinking long-term and more short-term basis because whenever a company slashes a dividend, what's going to happen is the stock is going to tank, at least for uh, the short term. good example of that is Altagas, so uh, ALA.TO. They slashed a dividend, I think, a year and a half ago now. Um, and their financial statement and position, it's actually looking much better than it used to. So they, much, they use much, that much, much, much better. Oh, yeah. And I actually, um, I invested in them when they slashed a dividend. But one thing I did was I listened closely to the conference call. They brought new management in. The management uh, had a plan going forward. Really good plan. Obviously, there was some risk involved, but they had very clear plan going forward. They wanted to sell some non-core asset. They wanted to pay down debt with that extra cash flow that they would get from no longer paying the dividend. And uh, now their uh, their dividend is actually covered by free cash flow and they're starting to be able to invest a bit more in growth opportunities, but also doing it in a kind of measured matter. So I think that kind of approach probably if the, I'm not familiar with their management and their, um, their C-suite, but I don't know if they've been there for a long time, but if they have, it might be a good time for the board to start looking at uh, bringing fresh blood in because our new blood, because it's just, it's not a good, uh, good thing to just be looking at the, the short term. Yeah, totally agreed. And they were doing so well up until about 2015 in terms of the stock. And then it's just been not so hot since. So yeah, they definitely have to do something different this dividend, I mean, I've said it about 10 times already on this podcast, but they got to do something different. It looks like when I'm looking at Nutrien and AFN, these agricultural companies, it looks like I'm looking at oil and gas because it's it's all the same similar metrics. You're looking at relatively cheap valuations on when it looks on earnings, uh, modest growth, uh, pretty much flatline earnings, flatline share performance or negatively performing shares and really high payout ratios. So these are the kinds of things I get it. They want to distribute cash to this shareholder, but I think most investors would rather a safe and predictable long-term dividend than fueling it by debt and mismanagement. I think of Enbridge on this. I don't understand Enbridge. This company, I mean, I get it. You want the 6% yield. They've paid it forever. It's been such a good compounder over the last 20 years, but they're barely covering the dividend from an earnings perspective all the time. And it's just uh, something I've never really understood. And I've never invested in these types of companies and I've done really well by not doing it and dodged some major bullets by staying away from these red flags. So yeah, I mean, I, I think this is very, very similar. Yeah, definitely. And if anyone's really interested in investing in these type of businesses, um, you have to look at how they do on a long term basis, whether you're looking at this or oil, um, have a look at like especially oil. If you're looking to invest, especially in producers, you'll want to look 
like hard at their financial statement, but over a long period of time and how they've done when prices were really low. And you'll usually want to stick to the really strong companies if you're going to be investing in those sectors, because those are the companies that will make it through. Uh, the companies that, uh, you know, have too much debt, they're too levered, they're not well managed. Um, if prices of commodities go down, that's usually when you'll see them go bankrupt and to zero. All right. Do we want to talk about any other companies, any other news in the market uh, that you have on your mind? I mean, for me, I like it's been interesting following the market almost on a daily basis with those uh, those wild swings. Um, I still have a lot of cash on the sidelines. I haven't yet invested all that too much. Uh, I know it's been super volatile, but if you put things into perspective and you started looking uh, at the metrics, uh, we're still, in my opinion, a bit overvalued. And I, I still think people are not factoring in all the implications with uh, what's going on with the coronavirus coronavirus or the supply change, but also uh, people spending less, afraid of going out, uh, retail potentially being impacted by that. I know I just saw today that um, they'll uh, push out the release date for the new James Bond movie because they're afraid it's going to flop if people are not going to theaters. So there's all these red flags going on, yet the market, it's like one day they realize it, the next day it's like, okay, Joe Biden may win the U.S. Democratic selection, so, well, the market might as well go up 5%. So it's I mean, I'm not trying to make sense of it. I have valuations in mind. I've said it before, companies that I'm looking at. And uh, once they hit that ratio, I'm going to start, I uh, have like a detailed plan, uh, cut into four investments for each, and I'll start uh, dollar cost average based on that. I was about to say, this is why we dollar cost average, and then you finish your sentence with it. This is why we dollar cost average, guys, seriously. Whether you contribute to your account monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever it may be, this is why we regularly invest in stocks because we want to ride out this volatility and take advantage of it in a way when they are trading lower. There are a lot of concerns over this thing. I, I get it. I get it. Hopefully it passes through. It is The outbreaks in certain countries are obviously a lot scarier than others and it even if the outbreak isn't that bad, there's a lot of fear in the public, right? So even if hardly anyone was sick, which is the case outside of China, like realistically, over 98% of cases are in China still as of today. But fear is still dominant. So if people are not going to the movie theater, in your example, because they're scared of said thing, well, then that's going to affect actual business results. So that, it, it makes sense. A lot of airlines are pulling different routes they usually make. Uh, the cruise line, yeah, good luck getting anyone to go on cruises right now. They're going for real cheap. Maybe I should go on a cruise, Simon. Well, yes, now that you're saying I'll that. I'll be a value so, uh, investor on my vacation. <laughs> Yeah, well, my girlfriend and I, so she's actually my fiance, but I find the weird the word like really weird. So I just still say what, cause you, you girlfriend. Because uh, you can't say it? With that, with your well, I fiance. Yeah, it's uh, it's just a weird. I, I find it a little snobby in terms of weird. I'll just say it with uh, like a southern accent, maybe fiance. But uh, <laughs> never do that again, please. No. 
but uh, we're looking uh, to get married in Bali, just her and I, but wow. we haven't uh, bought the tickets just yet. And we're planning to do it at the end of May. But now with like everything going on, we're kind of waiting and seeing where it's going at. And yesterday I looked and we actually could get like pretty close to like premium economy uh, overseas, which is like awesome seats uh, for like less than $2,000 round trip for each person, which is amazing if you're flying to Asia. So um, that's something we're looking at keeping an eye on because we're like, yeah, it's probably going to be some pretty good deals coming up. That's a good point. And I bet there's more cases here in Toronto than in Bali. I mean, I have not looked at that data at all, but seriously, it's probably like we're literally value investors at heart. Look at us trying to get cheap vacations. That'll be beautiful though, man. Bali looks really, really nice. I will transition to the tip of the day, which is actually really in like timely with what we're talking about right now, which is do not buy a stock for its current dividend yield only. That should never be the thesis for why you are buying the stock. Cold hard stop. Sure, it may be one of the reasons or one of the factors that you're looking for income. If you're into retirement and you want those yields through retirement, I get that. Real estate investment trusts are a great way to get high yields uh, safely in your retirement. But if it is not a real estate investment trust and it is a stock and you are buying it just for that high yield, I would rethink your whole analysis because... One, we talked about the safety of the dividend, and we want to buy really quality companies, and sometimes that yield is through the roof because the share price is so low. So as the share price goes low and the market hates it for one reason or another, maybe the business is rapidly declining, it's trading at cheap valuations, and then all of a sudden the yield gets pumped up to 10, 14, energy stock at 16%. Yields, I mean, it would be great. You think, wow, I can make 16% of my money just by doing nothing. That is great. But that is not a good reason to only buy the stock just based on that. That's a great tip of the day. And it's an easy mistake to make to strictly look at the dividend yield. Um, I understand it can be very attractive, but at the same time, if a company's yielding a lot, usually there's some underlying issues with the company itself. Anytime you see something double digit, uh, there should be some red flags there, but it's also important to compare with, with its industry peers. So if you have a tech company um, that's yielding like six, 7%, it might not look that bad, but when you're comparing to other tech companies that are yielding 1%, 2%, 0.5%, then there's definitely some red flags coming up for that company compared to its peers. Um, always you do your due diligence, like Braden and I always mention, look at the payout ratio. I would recommend looking at it from an earnings perspective, but also from a free cash flow perspective. Make sure it's on solid grounds. I know it can be tempting, especially if you're looking for the extra income, you're retired or you're looking to retire soon. Um, I know dividend stocks can be a great alternative to uh, low yielding government bonds or low savings account. Um, that's a good approach to take, but at the same time, you need to make your due diligence because there's nothing worse than counting on the dividend and then the company cuts it because they can no longer afford it. Um, either you no longer have a dividend or the dividend is much lower than it was. And usually what 
is going to happen, like I mentioned on the uh, this episode a bit earlier, is the stock is going to tank after that, at least on a short-term basis when the company cuts it. So make sure you do your due diligence. If the yield is extremely high, um, that should there should be some red flags there, and there's usually a good reason for that. Couldn't agree more. If retirees are looking for high yields, I say why not the big Canadian banks. I think Canadian banks are heavily undervalued. TD is my favorite Canadian bank because the growth in the US. They're achieving low double-digit earnings growth and revenue growth for a company that's trading at 10 PE. That's really, really attractive in my opinion. And you're going to get that 4 or 5% yield at very safe 40% payout ratios compared to what you're going to find elsewhere with like 80% payout ratios. So that safety is there. Uh, I would say maybe just, you know, boring, I know, but the big Canadian banks are not a bad play at all. I am finding undervalued dividend growth stocks all the time for my Stratosphere Premium subscribers. Every month I'm feeding that information to them. And I just had a position raise their dividend 45% because earnings shot up 45%. They're just throwing that on the yield. And they can because the payout ratio is at 14%. So why wouldn't they? Uh, they want to reward shareholders like that. And these are the kinds of things you want to own because if you own the stock and maybe it only has a 1.5% yield, but they double that yield in a couple of years because they're growing earnings very quickly, your yield on cost is really, really exciting. So if 10 years out, you buy a bunch of dividend growth stocks now, you're going to be getting those really, really nice yield on costs in the future without having to you know, sacrifice some of the risk that comes with buying really, really high yielders now. And if they pull that off, the earnings grew, the company grew, you're going to have that share price performance. That's going to make up you know, the bulkier returns, of course, because these companies did so well. So that is my recommendation. Stay away from those scary 15% yielders. They might look attractive, but that should not be the single reason to buy a stock. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you guys next week. Get over to GetStockMarket.com. Keep supplying those questions. We're getting through them. Thank you so much, guys. Bye-bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.